welcome to episode 389 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Jess. Jessica Carr. Michael O'Malley. In today's episode, we'll be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we'll be kicking off our romance movie series with 1987's Dirty Dancing. Um, and we're all going to dance, so you got to watch the YouTube because we're all just going to start dancing. Yeah, that's that's part of it. We all learned, learned how to do the lift for part two. So we'll get back. in here. So if you're listening to this right now, audio only, you better hop everybody, on over to Everybody the else is going to lift their partner, and I'm going to find a cat and lift it. Me uh, too. I wanted yeah, you to lift too. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's busy. All right. Well, let's go ahead and, and real quickly send you over to cinematary.com. We got, if you did not listen, if, if you're like anti-audio and you're, for whatever reason, listening to this podcast, but you want to see the top 10 list of the year as well as everybody else's top 10 lists of the year, we got you covered on that. That's on cinematary.com. I think Andrew has a review that's coming up on Monday. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's a movie, so check it out there. Um, but let's go ahead and get into movies that we saw this week. We're going to kick it off with a new release, which came out a few weeks ago on Netflix. Uh, and that is a uh, kind of, an, I guess, an anthology um, film, uh, animated film called The House. What what country is this from? Is it is it? It's a British movie. It's British. Okay. The UK. Um, the House, uh, it, it takes place in, you're going to guess, a, a house. But uh, it takes place during three different eras and, like, there's cats and rats and stuff involved too so um all (laughs) stop motion animation for the most part um michael i know you saw i think you saw this first what what's your what are your impressions of the house yeah i i liked it um so i feel like with any anthology film it's gonna there you're gonna hit those stretches where you're like oh this section doesn't work um and unfortunately for this movie, there's only three segments, which means that if one of them doesn't work, it kind of like drags a lot of the movie down. And I didn't really like the last section that much. Um, and but the first section is amazing, and then the second section is just so is like pretty good, and the third section is not so good. Um, so for me, it kind of that kind of like you know sets the 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 like median enjoyment of the movie at a pretty pretty good level. Um, the first section is really great though. It's like this. It's like set in like what seems like the 1800s or something. And uh, it involves like the building of this house. And there's like this like poor family or poor-ish. They're not like destitute. They have their own home. But they are like uh, given this offer that is basically like, if you spend the night in this house, we'll give you $1,000. Except the it's not just spending the night. You have to move all your stuff and live in this house. Um, but they'll, they'll like pay for this nice house for you. And so they kind of do that. Um, and in the process of doing so, like the family starts like deteriorating, like literally. <laughs> um, and because it's stop motion, you can see these like really cool textures of the family as they like start turning into household objects and stuff. Um, and it's really cool and really creepy. Um, and I thought that section was awesome. And I watched that and I was like, boy, I can't wait for the rest of this movie. And then the next section was just okay. Um, it is set. I actually can't present even, day is it present day it's about it's kind it of weird because like it's, it. it's a bunch of mice that are like anthropomorphic they're like people mice like <laughs> present day mouse mice. world 
exactly. Yeah, they're. I think they're like rats. Okay. I think that's like. Uh, my apologies to the, the mice and rat communities <laughs> for inflating. <laughs> Damn it, we lost our listeners there. Uh, but um, that one's that one's fine. It's about like this dude who's like a like a real estate agent, I guess. He's trying to flip the house, um, and he keeps having problems with like trying to flip the house and like have open houses and stuff like that. Um, and that one's pretty good. It's not like as good as the first one. It's not nearly as striking. Um, and then the fourth section uh, is my least favorite. And I it, like this is some nebulous time in the future, and everything's water except for the house, which is on this island. And so the tenants are kind of like <laughs> they still have to pay rent. <laughs> yeah, they still have to pay. <laughs> Rent. I know it was like the protagonist is a landlord, and I was like, "Bro, bro there's just water out there." I was like, "I was like, yo, y'all lost me immediately." Yeah, <laughs> I was like I do not care. It's not nearly as good, and it's like people are fleeing the house on boats, but it's not like scary fleeing. They're just kind of like, "I think I'm gonna move," and they like boat off. Um, the housing and market, I don't know. You I, know? Just, I just didn't. Yeah, I, I just didn't connect with that one. Um, one thing I did think is interesting is each of these sections is done by a different group of animators. Um, so uh, the the style is all stop motion, but the style otherwise like diverges quite a bit from section to section. Obviously, like with like whether or not you're dealing with people or mice or cats or whatever the you know, but also like in terms of like the kind of um, like the kind of motions and and like things that are are done with the actual characters and i thought that was cool uh, i like it when anthology films there's like a real character to the style of each thing and it's not just like hi i'm the single guy or single person directing this these three sections um they're like these do feel like distinct meaningful works in and of themselves that um like work as shorts but also work like under the umbrella or under the roof of this larger concept um i don't know i I've, I've kind of been meandering um what do you guys think yeah i'm kind of with you it's the first one is great honestly if they just kind of like stretched that one out maybe a little bit more it would like and just made that the only one it would have been fantastic and you could have called it still the house and uh just called it a day um you know like because the first one it kind of has like it's got some some Coraline vibes, some Tim Burton vibes. Yeah, yeah, big yeah, Henry, big Henry Selleck vibes, vibes sure. going on. Um, uh, because like you, once you get into the actual to like the house, um, it just feels like it, it kind of never. It's one of those like never ending spaces, and it just feels like you'll like walk into a one room and it's like completely put together, and then you'll walk into another room and just. To the, because of the nature of like the kind of dollhouse effect it just looks like like torn apart and like you also have just like this indestructible baby that just like falls downstairs and shit it's amazing um but uh yeah the second one i didn't i honestly didn't like the second one either because then you had like the tall mouse and like the short <laughs> mouse and i was like i don't like this oh my gosh it was like the a freakishly freakishly tall so, like rat so let me, and let, then like a round rat it's it, like like the 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 beetles the beetles and the bugs became like rats right is that what happened 
Because there's like a there's a long beetle and then there's a no. short fat beetle and then there's a mm. long rat and there's a big short a short uh, fat rat. Yeah. So then like they just start huh. like invading. There's the kind house. of like a yeah. There's kind of like a mother thing know. where it's like guests won't leave and the beetle like the, the yeah pests. yeah yeah I think and it's like a. It's like a, like you work so hard on something and you've put so much effort into it and then when you show it to people, they don't give a shit about it. Like I think that that's what it was like, what it was like doing in that story. And he, he also was like super neurotic and he was like, didn't have relationships with other like rats or whatever. Like he was like calling his dentist and like pretending like they were in a relationship. <laughs> There's something interesting to be and said about it... the way that movies use like the like headset mic for your phone as like shorthand for this person has no no family connections to speak of. Like yeah, I feel like yeah, there's yeah, so yeah, many yeah. movies where you see the person with like the earpiece on talking on the phone. You're like, or you're an African American uncle. Yeah, 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 also... yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, one you of, have one a... of the two. Um, <laughs> either but yeah, way, overall, way. like the last two were, were kind of just there. I didn't totally hate the last one. I didn't really feel like it had a point, but like it wasn't weird rat things. So I was good with that. And like the one dude was just like, you just kind of had like this pothead, uh, cat thing show up and he was fun. Um, yeah, it was, I don't know. It's only an hour and a half. So at the end of the, at the end of it, I was just kind of like, whatever, but the, it's honestly worth it just to watch that first, that first story. Cause it is really, um, yeah, I, I would just watch that one. Yeah. Like in the first, in the first one, their faces really cool. are so small in the middle of their head. They all look like scrotums. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. They're like big puffy heads. No, like they're penises. It's a family of penises. They got little penis bizarre. faces. They're like. Oh. But yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna hear Mia Goth voice a, a small scared child, <laughs> then, then watch the house. <laughs> watch this baby fall downstairs. It also, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys have read the book House of Leaves, but um, I think that this first section is also kind of sort of a riff on that book um because of the weird like architecture of the house and stuff um no i mean i i I think i think michael you made this point in your letterboxd review say what you will about netflix not great overall but they do at least give chances to interesting animation um and so and so like like, at the end of the day while i didn't love the entire thing like I'm happy that it's there because it's like this kind of strange, um, unique, animated film that uh, you know it's not like that was ever going to get a release in like a theater or something. So it's cool that it's there. Yeah, we need more stop motion movies. So always glad to have another one. And I guess we'll just that'll just sate our appetite before the Key and Peele Henry Selleck stop motion movie comes out later this year. So or the Guillermo del Toro stop motion Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. So. Um, well, the house it's on Netflix. Um, let's move on though to our other animated movie from a uh, media conglomerate. Uh, Jesse, why don't you take us away? All right, we're talking Encanto, baby. Um, so what's there to say about this? I I took a sick day on Monday, more like a mental health day. I needed something to do. Been meaning to catch up on this one because 
Everybody's talking about it. Um, my nieces. I saw my nieces, like, a few weeks ago, and they're, like, one's a kinder, one's a first grader and one's a preschooler. And they, that's all they want to do is listen to the Encanto songs. And I was like, I got to get around to watching this dang movie. Um, it's, I liked it. I thought it was cute. I, I really, really liked the, um, just the, how colorful it was. Um, and I like, I like just the design of, um, what's her name? Um, Mirabelle. 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 Um, I just she's like adorable. I love like how her, her curls and how they're just yeah. like always moving. Her big glasses. I mean, I think everybody. I think it just looks. It looks really fun. Like it's just a fun movie to look at, and um, you know, also just being Latina, it's nice to have movies kind of a, a little bit more on, on like my culture and and um, just the vibrancy that I think my culture offers. Um, I think. I don't know if I understand why people are getting so hype about the music for it. It's not one of my favorite um, musicals in the Disney catalog. Um, but I, I feel like I liked the story well enough. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I, I was kind of middling on it. I thought it was pleasant. I thought it was just a nice way to spend my day. But um, I know, Jessica, you had pretty strong thoughts on it. <laughs> and, Michael, you had yeah, strong thoughts on I, it, too. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I I really resonated with kind of the messaging in it being about, like, the experience of children of immigrants. And I think that there was, like, a, a big emphasis on like the grandma character being like so hard on her children and her grandchildren because she wanted them to like do all these great things with their powers like she wanted them to be like have have these superpowers help the family help the village uphold the the family name and to keep the candle burning so to speak and it is to me kind of like how children of immigrants like have this pressure on them where they feel like they have to make something of themselves or if they don't then the sacrifice that their parents made were for nothing and so it's like it shows the grandma like like she loses her husband and then she's left with these babies and the candle builds this home for her and she lost everything to have this and so she she puts all of that pressure on her children and her children put it on their children and it's kind of like this cyclical thing and I think that the end of the movie was like trying to say even if the candle burns out and like your your children are still doing the best they can and even if they don't have superpowers like they're still everyone is still doing the best that they can and that is that is enough so it was like kind of like saying that you are enough regardless of if you're able to like make this huge impact or whatever like on the world and I, I resonated with that pretty closely. Um, I didn't have that sort of pressure on me because my mom was adopted. And so there was like not really that same sort of pressure. And I was very lucky because my parents were like, live your life, do what you want. Like you can do anything type of thing. And so I didn't really have that sort of pressure, but it kind of like I know a lot of people who have and I know members of my own family who have had that sort of thing happen to them. And I think uh, Louisa's song that was like the, the pressure song. 
Yeah. Of, tick, 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 da, 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 yeah, it was I like that was one of my favorite songs. It was kind of like you it. being mm-hmm. the older sibling and feeling like everything is on your shoulders and you have to keep this, like, uh, image or else if you crack, then it affects the entire family. And that song, like, made me tear up, like, legitimately because it was like she just had... It was like a metaphor, but she also felt like she had to be the strongest person. And I think that that is something that is super common in, like, an immigrant family. Um, but I can see I can see how if you don't have all of that that you resonate with, like how the characters can be pretty paper thin and how it is pretty much beat for beat, like doing the Disney thing. And I can see how all of that could make it kind of just very cookie cutter. But for me, I think that that messaging was good enough and I felt like they handled it well, that it made me enjoy the movie. And it is a very colorful and beautiful movie. The animation is beautiful. And like, I thought the songs were okay. I think the, the we need to talk about Bruno thing is very funny. No, we don't <laughs> talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. We, we, need, we need to talk about Bruno. We need to talk about Kevin. Bruno, Bruno took a crossbow to his school. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we don't, we don't talk. This movie sounds we great. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, we need and to talk about Bruno. I don't know. And I, I also think it's funny because, like, in, the, in some of the letterbox reviews, they were saying, like, oh, Bruno is, you know, your gay uncle that, like, nobody in your family wants to talk to. And I just think it's kind of funny that people are still putting those types of things on Disney movies when Disney could just have, you know, more films where there are, like, queer characters and we don't have to just keep, like, like being like, oh, this is a little undertone. Like, just make it super obvious. Like, don't... It's also it's also super annoying. Like I know I don't know how I got on this rabbit hole the other day. I was on Twitter and I saw this thing with like Kermit and this drag queen. And then so like I don't know. Several Google searches later, I found out that Disney put out this like big Pride special thing on Disney Plus. So it's not like Disney is not saying, you know, like it's not like Disney is not overtly supporting like LGBT people. They just won't put it in their like. Movies that people are gonna watch. Lose, They're just like, we're gonna, we're gonna throw this somewhere on our, we're gonna put this somewhere on our streaming service, but like, we're definitely not gonna bother to include it in anything that anybody's actually gonna like watch in theaters or something. Yeah, like. I mean, they'll, they'll lose markets. <laughs> like, Disney has always supported, like, somewhere in their like tentacle of media conglomerate, like, properties, like LGBTQ films. And in fact, like, that was part of like, I remember in the 90s, if you're part of like the like evangelical Christian boycott of Disney, it was that like, like Touchstone Pictures or something like that, like had films that like had positive representations of like gay characters or something like that. But the thing is that Disney as like a brand is so reluctant to attach it to its flagship properties because they want those flagship properties like their Walt Disney Animation Studios features or like their big, uh, you know, the Marvel films or things like that, like they want those to be as like broadly appealing as possible. And like they see, um, you know, losing, losing business in the Middle East or China or from the evangelical Christian market as like so damaging, I guess, that they can't even like, you know, do the bare minimum of like giving gay characters like an actual character instead of like a random person in a Avengers support group scene or something. I will say... 
to, to going back to kind of about the movie and like our responses to it and stuff. I think like what I, my bigger takeaway was it what for it was. I mean, I could definitely relate to the you know never feeling like you're really rising up to what your parents want of you. It made me think of that Linkin Park song, Numb. That was like my <laughs> anthem as a preteen, you know? I was it like, should have yeah, been on the soundtrack. Um, or no, <laughs> yeah, it's like, awesome. no, no, not Numb. Not Numb in the end. It was like, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it, never, it doesn't really matter. That's, it was like my anthem in middle school. I was like, my parents will never, I'll never be enough for them. <laughs> That's kind of what the movie is saying, but in like a Disney way. But I guess also like, you know, I feel like I'm surrounded in my like social circle with people who are very, very creative, like people who are makers in some way, like Jessica, you're a baker and Paige is an artist and, you know, Andrew makes music and Michael writes and I don't know, sometimes I just feel like <laughs> Zach, Zach runs a whole dang Zach podcast, Zach baseball. writes so good, <laughs> Zach, 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 like manages the whole podcast he's done for years and writes awesome reviews too Zach is tuned out you know what I mean but like I don't know so I guess I feel like especially compared to you know you guys I feel very like what's my superpower I'm like nice to people that's why like Louisa you know kind of is very comforting and soft and she doesn't get, get a superpower or whatever but that's I guess that's like my gimmick, but a lot of times I'm just sort of like, I don't have anything I can like post on Instagram. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I have like any kind of like marketable thing other than like, yeah, maybe like I can make you feel chill for a sec. Cause I'm okay. I don't know. I just, I often feel like what the, what the, what is my thing? I don't have a meme and I get really in my head about it. So I guess that was kind of the comforting takeaway I got from it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, th- I think that really, also with the movie, it's kind of like, just do you, like, just be you. And if your family doesn't like it, then, like, their whole house is going <laughs> to crumble and, like, <laughs> like <laughs> turn into dust. Yeah, they're That's lost. Right? <laughs> I th- okay, so I thought that it was, it was weird that, like... So Maribel's like, I don't have powers and that's okay. But she's like her whole family is like therapists. Like everyone always is like talking to her all the time and being like solve our problems and help us. And then she gets them a new house and rebuilds everything. And then she still doesn't have powers. Like she does. She's like walking around and like her sister is super strong. Her other sister grows like flowers. And she's like, I just went through this whole journey and my grandma finally loves me. But like I still don't. Don't have a power like I rebuilt <laughs> this house and that's it and so like what she just doesn't get anything yeah I think that is like a weird element of the movie is that like in the metaphor of the movie all of their powers are like representations of their insecurities right um but by the end of the movie their insecurities have been like solved in a way but they still have their powers which is they get their what? powers back, A, and their house gets to be magic again. Like, their house let them build it from the ground up, and then as soon as they put the doorknob in, the house is like, I'm back! Yeah. Like, what? You couldn't just build yourself, you shitty little house? What the hell? I don't know. I I don't know. It's just, the ending is super weird for me, and I'm I'm glad people got stuff out of it. But I, I said this the other time, but I just don't think the ending lands for me at all. Like, it, the, the metaphor kind of falls apart or just becomes really weak, I think, and I... I don't really understand like the nature of the reconciliation that happens. Like it feels like a reconciliation on paper and they like play the nice music so that there's reconciliation, but I don't really understand what is, what is materially changed about the family besides just that they like hug each other now. Um, 
And I, I feel like that the movie really drops the ball there for me um, because it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. And, and I don't, like, what gets solved in, in terms of Mirabelle, the protagonist, like, she gets validation from her grandmother, which is nice. But then, like you guys are saying, she still doesn't have powers. It's unclear still, like, what her, how she feels like, uh, like a, a role within the family um, since everyone else has like their powers still um, and also it's unclear like what those powers purpose is since those powers were like basically masking their insecurities to begin with like um, Louisa with her strength like that was you know oh as uh, like a, like the older sibling I feel like this crushing responsibility to be the strong one and she is still the strong one at the end in not a different way than before. And I don't know. I, it didn't make sense to me on a, like a thematic level. I, I really liked your reading, Jessica. And I think that if I had that context, maybe it would have landed better. But that was one of my big frustrations with the movie is that I just, I just had a hard time connecting with the ending. But I agree with a lot of the stuff you guys said. Colors are really good. I think Disney animation technology has gotten a lot better at actually looking fluid and nice. Um, and this feels like a really nicely done one. I still would rather it just be hand-drawn. If you're going to have cool, colorful animation, like they still, it still doesn't look as cool as like the 90s Disney movies. But uh, I, if you've got to use the CG stuff, I think this is like a really nice... It reminded me of Coco, honestly, uh, just in terms of how it uses color and lighting. Um, and... Um, like to create this world that like glow, like literally glows, like glowing colors are like an important part of the aesthetic of the movie. Um, I just want to know why this movie for the, this, it's like the third or fourth Disney animated movie in a row that's had six writers. You don't need six people to come up with what you just described. Disney movies often have a lot of writers because it's, because it's done like, you don't need six deal. writers. That's like a long thing. You don't need six writers for this. I just listened to the whole description of this movie. You don't need six people to come up with that. Maybe one, two, three if we're feeling frisky. Uh, well, Encanto is on Disney Plus, but be a good person and pirate it. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, another movie about family. <laughs> we don't talk about, about you. you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just want to say that Jesse and I were probably the most annoying people to watch this three hour film with. Like, Andrew and Cam were troopers because they put up with us, but we started getting so delirious towards the end that we were just making jokes about who was Yee Yee, and we were like, is this, is the baby Yee Yee? Like, who's named Yee Yee? And Andrew was like, Nobody. Andrew's like, nobody's name is Yee Yee. That's just the title of the film. Nobody's name is I was that. like, no, Andrew, I'm pretty sure the baby's name is Yee Yee. They what never said mean? the baby's name. It means what a if, one and a two. One and a two. One and a two, and, a two and a, that's the baby you. <laughs> <laughs> so this, like, three-hour film is directed by Edward Yang, and it is about a family in Taipei, and it is like a three hour long movie that kind of, I think it's in the over the course of a year. And there are at least, so there's a sister, a brother, a grandma, mom and dad, uncle. I mean, it's like a, it's a multi-generational family. 
and it kind of yeah and and over the course of three hours you kind of hit basically every character and you get like a little spotlight into their life and there are lots of threads of like what's going on in their life at the time and so it's very it's very very like slice of life type of film and I I actually avoided this movie for years like it was always on the cinema club ballot and I never voted for it because I was like I do not want to sit through this three hour sad movie and I was like I was like, I refuse to do this, and every review of this movie is glowing. It is like five stars, four stars, four and a half. Everyone is like, this is like such an amazing... All the good ones. <laughs> All of the top stars. It's like, <laughs> this is such an amazing film. If, you're a, if you are a cinephile, you have to watch this movie, and I just never had the energy to do it, and then Andrew and Cam were like guess what, we want to watch this movie. And so Jesse and I were like, all right, we're, we're going to do it. Actually, let me clarify that. I feel like Andrew and I were just putting around in the kitchen one day, and I was like, you know what? I keep remembering that I've been meaning to watch Yee Yee, and Andrew was like, that's on our evil cinema, or evil movie church list. And I was like, what? And he's like, we're watching it on Monday. And I'm like, oh. There you go. So soon. <laughs> there okay. you go. But... <laughs> the fuck is the evil movie church list it's a whole it's a thing anyway there's been a schism in the movie well church. we just don't really meet like our friends and so but andrew and cam have like let's pick a let's make movies a list that basically yeah movies that movies nobody that else would want to watch but them in general and it's yeah. like you know architecture documentaries and like stuff like that <laughs> 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 where we're like you know, you know boy guys, things <laughs> Guys just... Guy guys stuff, dude stuff. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, and we're just like... I just watched 45 minutes of uh, of why biking makes cities better on yeah. YouTube, so yeah, I can't exactly. talk. Oh, yeah, is that not just bikes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that channel. Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> See, boy things. But yeah, like, I thought... I Bro thought things. that the, the movie didn't feel as long as I thought it was going to, so I will give it that credit. And it was like super sympathetic to characters that I don't like I think that if these characters were in western films I don't think that they would have been so sympathetic to them like there there's an uncle in the film and he like was with this one woman and then he got another woman pregnant and they have a shotgun wedding and then he borrows money from people in the family never pays them back and he also invites his ex to his current wife's baby shower he's a big messy (laughs) baby yeah his current wife is like why are you doing this and then he ends up like trying to commit suicide and it is like this whole it's like this whole thing but the the movie like makes him such a sympathetic character that you're like okay he has issues but like let's try to understand at the core what's causing this and like it isn't super judgmental and it does that with pretty much every character where it gives you their their story in a very sympathetic way to where the movie is is 
you know, so patient with them and really wants you to understand who they are as people. And I just thought that that was so good. And, like, I, I made a joke in the middle of the movie because there's always, you ha in all of these kind of, like, art films, you always have a character who isn't a part of the main, like, cast, and they say the thesis of the movie, like, kind of, like, in the middle. And it ended up being, like, the boyfriend character. And he just talks about film... He just talked about film being a reflection and of life and how you can watch a three-hour movie and just learn so much about life, and it's like a snapshot into it, and I just thought that that was, like, really cool. Wait, the character talks about watching a three-hour movie? No, well, no, but he says, like, oh. he says something along the lines of, like, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe he says something like doctors have said that ever since like the birth of film, people live a lot longer now because you get to experience yeah, yeah. so many lives through films and, and maybe it kind of prevents you from doing things you know, that might be bad because you can just watch a movie about it instead mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Like, that was his idea. Yeah, um, so Jesse, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, pretty much what you said, just that I mean, it kind of reminded me of what I what I when I was going on a long rant about why I love Paul Thomas Anderson a few weeks ago um, when we did the um, best of twenty twenty one. Is this is a very similar vibe where it gives you all these kind of little fumbling characters, very human. They have their little quirks and they have things that um, like you're obviously supposed to kind of judge them for like especially the um because the, the movie starts with a wedding of this guy and after just a couple like kind of thrown different odd pieces you kind of piece together like exactly why this wedding is controversial and how all these people know each other um and they set him up as kind of like a big doofus and he kind of put, continues to be a doofus but i also feel like as i was watching this and watching him especially anytime it would cut to like a little tidbit of him i started getting really worried for him like, he kind of would laugh and stuff, and then a few scenes later, you're seeing him, like, begging somebody else for money, saying he's, like, totally broke, and then bragging about how he's rich in another scene, and I'm like, yo, this guy, this is bad. Like, I bet he's gonna try to kill himself, and then he, like, does try, um, and I, I don't know, so it's, like, things like that where they'll kind of give you, they'll show you sort of how somebody is messy and, and complicated, but then... I don't know. To me, it doesn't feel like the, the movie is really judging them. It's just sort of showing. And that's, you know, what I really liked about it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just I enjoyed kind of spending that time with with each of these characters. And, and I don't know. I guess I could also really relate to it because um, <laughs> my family had a wedding that was just sort of like a significant event in my my family history that like went down in infamy and I don't know I was like oh let's make more movies about how weddings fuck people up and um it was just like this whole thing with my brothers and all this fighting like a big dramatic like blowout at uh, my brother's wedding and um so I was kind of I was always hoping the movie would kind of keep following that but it, it didn't really end up sticking with that so much but um I don't know, I guess I just liked how it wasn't this big, grand scheme. It was this very, like, micro-analysis of, of this family. And, um, I don't know, seeing with them kind of... You get a wedding, a funeral, and a baby shower, and a birth. Like, all of this in this very small amount of time. 
and I guess I just liked that kind of how these things bring families together and pull them apart and um, kind of create chaos and comfort like two in one um, I, don't know, I thought it was I thought it was really sweet and really smart just about families and it, it just it didn't really feel I don't know I guess I like movies where um, nobody seems like overly rich or overly this or that or that I mean even some of the characters are a little bit more well off but um, it just feels like regular people like it doesn't feel like it feels like a relatable narrative of, of regular people who are messy and I like that kind of story yeah it was really good Michael have you seen this movie I have not. I haven't like intentionally avoided it, but it's also like, like you said at the beginning, it's like a three hour movie that has this really like high, you know, acclaim. And so it's sort of the movie that you always, or at least I've always felt like, well, I'll watch it eventually and have never gotten around to doing it because it seems like an undertaking. I think that you would like it a lot. It feels very like your, your vibes. I think. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, the cinematography is beautiful. There's a lot of there's a lot of shots that are like reflections of things and like reflections in windows and like the city lights reflecting off of their apartment building that they live in and all of those are very quiet and very thoughtful shots in between just like going through like the whole family's life. And I thought that that was really good. But I'm glad that I watched it. I feel, I always have this thing where I have movies like this that I just like, after I watch it, I feel, I feel accomplished. Like I accomplished something. That's, that's what um, he And I, I'm just really glad that I did. I guess I also thought, I was worried it was going to be like overly artsy, overly like, I don't know, big, dramatic. I don't know what I thought. I thought it was going to be a little bit more inaccessible but i just think that anybody could like it and and take something away from it and kind of to me it was just nice well nice well i think it's yee's in uh the criterion collection so you can find it there um i don't know where else it would be i don't know pirate it do what you need to do (laughs) stop telling people call up call up yee he's one of the characters intellectual property anarchist do it all you want um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to go put each other in a corner after this. <laughs> Hello, Cinematary listeners. This is your favorite Filipino podcaster, Jessica Carr. I'm here to let you know about a couple of things that Cinematary offers that you might not know about. First, if you're a fan of what Cinematary is doing, please consider joining us on Patreon. Remember when we weren't clamoring for your dollars? Or now we're just clamoring for five of your dollars. So please help us and donate to our Patreon, and then you'll get exclusive content from our staff, including our Film Theory and Chill series, where a panel takes a piece of theory each month and deconstructs it before diving into whatever topic is on their mind from the past week. The $5 each month is invested in the website and the podcast and it goes solely to paying our writers for the reviews each week so please consider doing it it's only five dollars if you missed an episode of cinematary or a piece of writing we've had you should consider signing up for our free newsletter each sunday we send out a note with the latest podcast episode piece of patreon
Patreon content and the last two reviews that we've written at Cinematary.com. It's perfect for those of you who are interested in what's happening and it makes sure that you don't miss a single Cinematary review. Finally, the easiest thing that you can do to help us is to please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever else you're using to listen to the show. This helps us get more eyeballs and ears on the podcast and the website, and it helps the people know about Cinematary, which is really what we're here for. So to recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and give us a rating or review. We would really appreciate if you could do these things. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. In this part, we'll be kicking off our romance series with 1987's Dirty Dancing, uh, directed by Emil Ardolino from a script by Eleanor Bergstein. The film stars Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, Cynthia Rhodes, Jerry Orbach, and Kelly Bishop. Baby is one listless summer away from the Peace Corps, hoping to enjoy her youth while at last she dis- she's disappointed when her summer plans deposit her at a sleepy resort in the Catskills with her parents. Her luck turns around, however, when the resort's dance instructor, Johnny, enlists Baby as his new partner and the two fall in love. Baby's father forbids her from seeing Johnny, but she's determined to help him perform the last big dance of the summer. Also, somebody gets an abortion. Um... I think that's important too. Uh, according to a September, the bigger part of the plot than I was expecting. Yeah, it was. Uh, according to a September 1987 uh, LA Times article, writer Eleanor Bergstein first conceived of the idea for the screenplay set in the early 1960s involving two sisters learning to dance. Bergstein shared the concept with Linda Gottlieb, then working as an East Coast pr- uh, producer for MGM, before mentioning her past experience as a quote dirty dancer. Um. She also went to a camp and like was dancing, fuck some guy, whatever. Um, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey weren't actually the first choices for the film. Val Kilmer was initially offered the role oh. of Johnny, and both Sarah Jessica Parker and Sharon Stone auditioned to play Baby. Billy Zane what a movie was that initially been. playing Johnny as filming began, but was swapped out with Swayze when they realized he didn't have the, uh, the chemistry they were looking for with Jennifer Grey. Back when the film first came out, the title Dirty Dancing was a tad scandalous. The title became such an issue that censorship officers were hesitant and assumed it was a porn film. The chosen title, given that the alternative, uh, given for as an alternative, was quote I was a teenage mambo queen. 
the studio stuck to their guns and Dirty Dancing was born. Patrick Swayze, on the other hand, despised the film name. During a 1987 interview with reporter uh, Bobby Wygut, uh Swayze admitted, quote, I hate I hate the title Dirty Dancing. I absolutely hate it. When we all we all really fought to have it not called Dirty Dancing. That's what the studio went with. Would he have preferred so that's I was what we have Mambo to be Queen? stuck with and publicized. I don't know what he wanted. Uh, Swayze also hated the line nobody puts baby in a corner in his book the time of my life uh, Swayze wrote quote we did a lot of rewriting for the big final scene but one line that I hated stayed in I could hardly bring myself to say nobody puts baby in a corner it sounded so corny (laughs) but seeing the finished film I had to admit it worked and of course it became one of the most quoted lines in the movie uh Gray and Swayze also didn't really get along. In his autobiography, he recalled, quote, we did have a few moments of friction when we tried, when we were tired after a long day of shooting. She seemed particularly emotional, sometimes bursting into tears if someone criticized her. Other times, she slipped into silly moods, forcing us to do scenes over and over again when, she, when she'd start laughing. Uh, producers begged screenwriter Eleanor Bergstein to take out the abortion storyline, but she refused, saying, quote, Hey, I would love to, but I can't, because if I take it out, everything will fall apart. There's no reason for Baby to meet Johnny, for Penny not to be able to dance, for Baby to learn to dance with Johnny, for her to make love with Johnny. There's no story without that. Uh, the MPAA Classifications and Ratings Administration twice gave the film an R rating, even though all nudity had already been removed. While the filmmakers strived for a family-friendly PG rating, they accepted the MPAA's PG-13 rating following the third submission. Uh, in 1987... They should have just gone for it. Like, guns blazing, like nudity, abortions, dirty dancing. I guess they didn't want to lose, you know, they wanted it to have a wider audience... In 1987, the LA Times said, with its PG-13 rating, this may be a movie intended for young audiences. Certainly, it's one of the rare films that takes that takes seriously the considerable struggles of young people to find their place in the real world. If so, they're going to have to share the theater with a lot of bemused adults torn between libido and nostalgia. Uh, In 1987, the New York Times said, Dirty Dancing works best when it's most direct and unpretentious. It has the kind of sweet simplicity that somehow always eludes John Hughes. And in 1987, Roger Ebert said, This movie could have been about the subjects it pussyfoots around so coyly. It could have found a big scene a little bit, a little more original than the heroine stepping in for the injured star. It could have made the obnoxious owner's son less of a one-dimensional SOB. But the movie plays like one long, sad compromise. It places packaging ahead of ambition. Where did I get that idea? I don't know. Maybe the title. Wow, who said that? <laughs> I like the SOB guy who just like throws down the fountainhead after he's like some people matter more than others (laughs) oh man i know i wrote that i guess i missed that i i mean i think i i definitely got um you know some some of those i don't know what you call it marxist vibes from the first the first time i watched it she's very um it's like anti-ayn rand yeah well i mean i don't know she i think she's very um alienated from the community of people that she's in she um just sees them all as so self-absorbed and and her aim is just really just about you know being somebody for everybody helping helping all people and like not 
I don't know. But anyway, like that that specific line killed me, and I like paused it and wrote everything down. Where he was like, so "Some good. people just matter more than others," and he was like, "Here, you should read this and hands." But then he's like, the, 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 best, "The best part is like." But you need to give it back because I have notes in the margins. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I loved her response. She says, you make me sick. Stay away from me. Stay away from my sister or I'll have you fired. And then she smiles and then pours the water. I just, Leveraging I don't know. Her it's just, privilege. She's, loving, she's so good. She's, her line delivery there was just so fun. That, like how cold she says it and then she says, or I'll have you fired. And then smiles. Um, I can't believe, it's so funny, the controversy both ways about the title. Um, I don't know, I think it's a, it's like a, I mean, of course it's an iconic title, or we're talking about an iconic movie, but I feel like that, that title is just titillating enough that, you know, I think people are like, what is that movie going to be about? Yeah, um, and that, what else is the movie but about some, some dancing, you know, finding... Finding love through dancing. Yeah, dancing that's slightly dirtier than, like, the fuck. I know, and it cracks me up. The first scene that you see them, like, doing the dirty dancing to, talking about mashed potatoes. Like, the song's like, do the mashed potato, but they're, like, grinding on each other's genitals. Like, what? This is really setting the mood. <laughs> I guess it's the 60s, 50s, I don't know. It was the 60s, man. 1963 it, it opens i remember it's 1963 because it opens like it's stand by me or something like that or it's like the voiceover that never appears again in the movie where she's like it was 1963 before kennedy was shot before the war like and i'm like oh wow this is gonna really go for the boomer nostalgia and then it like basically never touches that again <laughs> well jessica i know this is a movie that you like to feel so what about it really like really makes you uh really makes you go <laughs> no don't say that oh no i just i'm i'm gonna sound so lusty but i'm just saying that like patrick swayze is the hottest man ever in this film specifically like he just looks so good. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's like, I'm a, I like a dude with, Oh, they like, show those arms you know, a pretty, lot. Pretty you see a lot of them strong arms. Big, strong arms. arms. And, like, oh, yeah. I like that. And, yeah, and I'm not talking about, like, a beefy, meaty, muscular man. I'm just talking about some, you know, some pretty, like, firm arms, like, just nice, just this part of the arm, just being, like, firm and nice, and, like, he can hold you, and there are so many, there's so many just, like, eye candy moments where it was, like, I can tell that this was written Man, by a woman. Yes, because the guys in like, the movie are so much more attractive than the women in this movie. You just get some yeah, really and, like, attractive the, dudes. The there are lots of like i think i think part of the romantic comedy formula is that you want to have moments in the film that just are just like tender sensual romantic and it's like bringing these characters closer together and when you as the viewer are watching it it like warms your heart and you're like this is the most beautiful encounter between two human beings that i've ever seen and there are like wait, lots wait. are we classifying this as a romantic comedy it's not yeah, very I funny i like the fountainhead part that's a comedy just okay, a, what? Okay, whatever, yeah, romance. Just a romance. But... It is... No, I will, I will say, like, to your point, Jessica, 
or maybe I don't know if you're trying to make this point, but like it has a rom-com structure, like a really classic rom-com structure in that they start out disliking one another, one another, right? Like Patrick Swayze is off on, honestly like kind of a dick at the beginning of the movie. And it kind of becomes clear later on, like why he is that way. But then they, they like, um, fall in love, you know, overcome their differences and fall in love. But then there's a last minute twist that separates them and like causes a complication in their relationship. And then there's a kind of climactic romantic gesture. And like, that is like a rom-com structure. It's just not like a, like jokey on like a screenplay level, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that like to that point, it it really does set them up as like the he's the bad boy and she's the pure rich girl and it's like she's like so they're from like different sides of the tracks and like she has so much to learn and it but it but I think that the movie is like super sympathetic to both of them. It doesn't try to make either one of them look better or worse than the other person. And I really liked that about it. I've I've started to try to watch K dramas because I don't know. I like Squid Game, so I was like, I'll try to watch like more Korean TV. And there's this formula in like K dramas where they try to make they make the woman be this like this like rich girl who needs to learn a lesson. This is a huge formula in like Hallmark holiday movies where it's like the woman, it's like a businesswoman, and she goes back to her hometown and she falls in love with the construction worker who humbles her and teaches her that, oh, you actually need to be like kind of submissive to me and actually like not be super great. And I, I think what I like about this movie is that it, it doesn't really do that. Like, there's a point in it where they're bickering at each other turns into, actually, I want to understand you as a person better. And they start to have that conversation where they're talking in Johnny's room and he, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of like, it sounds like they're bickering, but they're actually saying very nice things to each other. And Johnny is like, you're a person who is a problem solver and you try to like, like think the best of people and you're very optimistic and you do this and that. And, and she's like, you're an amazing dancer and you're so patient with people. And they're just yelling all of these amazing affirmations at each other. And it's like, just just like as a person who's you know looking for the romance it's just like emotional beautiful moment where you're like okay I would like for them to have sex because they're just like this is like amazing they're on the same level they've connected this is it and that is like the part of the movie where it's like immediately spicy romance is turned on because you're just like okay these characters are together and they're doing their thing i just think it's so cute um the way she just kind of crushes on him and keeps just like purposely just throwing herself in places where he she knows he's gonna be um and not necessarily knowing if it's gonna pay off or not like i think she kind of knows you know i'm, I'm no dancer i you know i don't i don't know if he's gonna be into me or not but she kind of keeps just trying to put herself around him because she's just so enthralled by him um I just like watching kind of her face as she's just so intrigued by this whole world that she just didn't even know exists um I love her character so much I think that she um 
he, the, he, I mean, he really nails it when he talks about, you know, in that scene that you're talking about where they're talking, they're in his house. It's like the scene, right? The, the first scene where they have sex. Um, and he's just saying, you're so brave. Like the things that you do, you're brave and, and you do things that you know might not like might get you in trouble or might change the way people think about you. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like you do it because you know, that's the right thing to do. Like, I really like when she helps, um, what was the, the friend's name? The girlfriend, Penny, name? the one who has Penny, the abortion. I yeah, like Penny. Yeah, so she, you know, she finds out about that. I think part of it, maybe a little bit, is to try to win his favor too. You know, but on the other hand, like she's like, you need this, and this is like, this is obviously something that matters a lot to you. I'm gonna help you, no questions asked. And then she helps Penny get the abortion. She has her dad come and and give her. Um, you know, medical treatment when that abortion doesn't go so well. And then later on, Penny says, hey, by the way, I just want you to know, like, I don't sleep around. And I guess I liked how affirming her character, like, her, her character, um, Jennifer Grey, is that her name? No. Yes? For, she, ba- are you talking baby. About, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah. Baby never asked her beforehand, and she didn't ask for details later. Like, it doesn't matter why you need an abortion. You want one, so let's get you one. Um, and I just like that her, you know, she never questions that. She never... And because that's the reality. People should be able to have access to a, a abortion if they if they need one, and she did. And it doesn't matter how many people she's been with. Um, she was with one, and she thought they were in love, and, and this guy treats her like trash. Um, but she is so brave. Um, and the way she, like, owns up at the end of the movie, she owns up to, like, having slept with him who's, to her dad. Who's Detective Briscoe from Law and oh Order? Oh, my God. I mean... Uh, there's a lot of like pre TV fame people like Emily Gilmore is in this movie and uh, Newman is in this movie. Uh, like there's a there was a lot of like watching this movie. I'm like, oh, it's these TV characters I know. Um, anyway, that's an aside. She's just so she's so bold and and I love that she's so bold, but in such like a sweet and soft way. Like she's she's courageous, but she's not um, like brass. She's just. She's just a really wholly good person, and I really, really like her character. Um, I don't know. I'm always so moved, like, just watching it. And actually, I've only seen it twice. And that's another thing, I guess, is, like, I think people kind of grow up with this movie, especially probably girls grow up with this movie, and this is, like, the quintessential romance. I only watched it a couple years ago, maybe, like, one or two years ago. Um, So it wasn't something I grew up with, and and I'm glad I watched it when I did because I feel like it resonated a lot more with me like kind of at, at my age now than it probably would have when I was a teen. Um, I don't know. I just think it's, it's really smart. You were the adults titillated and drawn by nostalgia. No, I don't know. I just, I liked, I guess the, the romance was, was there. And, and also just, um, her frustration definitely with, um, like the, the upper class people that she's surrounded with and how they, you know, look at all these people, the staff, and there's different tiers of the staff, right? There's a waiter staff, but all of them are like super smart people who are going to Harvard and this and that and that and whatever, which, which means they're probably rich and probably, you know, and this is just their summer job. And then there's like, there were the working class staff, um, like the dancers and, and other people that probably you don't really actually see in the movie. Um, 
and just how much he struggles and how she really sees that the way he struggles like if, you know if I don't make it to this gig this that's it for the whole summer and if I get fired from this what am I gonna do with myself the only thing I can do is like maybe go paint houses or something um, the only chance I have of joining a union is if I do this bullshit like I, I'm never gonna be able to do this thing that I really truly love and feel stable about it um, or or I can do that for now but if I'm not if, if if I go along with everything my asshole boss says but if I push on that a little I can get fired and lose my stability and have to do something that I'm going to hate for the rest of my life. And then he ends up, you know, he doesn't, he ends up losing his job. Um, because, so that's the thing. It's like, she can be brave and bold and she still really has you know, like the, the position of comfort because she comes from an affluent family. He tells her like, I'm so in inspired by you. I can't afford to be bold and brave and courageous like you because I don't have that safety net. If I lose this gig, that's it for me. I don't get to be a, like a professional dancer. I've got to go like paint houses and be, you know, I don't know. I just think, I think it's a really smart too, but it's also so sensual. Um, I love, I don't know. I, I, I love, and I love how like just sweet and playful Sears. There's a scene where she's like walking down the stairs and like dancing and her, she's still kind of like new to the dancing. So her moves are kind of dorky and stuff and sweet, but she doesn't really care. And there's a scene where she like looks around and then does this like, I don't know, thrust on this bridge. She's just adorable. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I think it's, it's it's also very romantic, very sensual, and really smart. I just think it's a lovely movie. It's nice that, um, it's nice to see a movie that, like, you get to, like, watch two people who clearly want to, like, fuck each other. Um, you don't get to see that anymore. Everybody's, everybody, like, has no sexuality in any way in movies now, you know? You watch, like, a Marvel movie and it's like Thor's never fucked anybody. What are you talking about? So it is true. There's like that weird like the eighties were such a weird time for like mainstream movies in terms of like one what content. Like at the beginning of the eighties you had PG movies with like nudity in them and stuff. And then like the PG thirteen rating comes around and for a while like PG thirteen is just like we shaved off like a few seconds of nudity uh, or sex so that we weren't R. <laughs> and now like I feel like PG thirteen movies in this current moment are like tamer than like what PG movies were in the eighties. And if you're going to go for like sexy times, you're just going to go for the hard R. Like there's like a really weird, like missing middle of movies in terms of like content, uh, right now. Well, and it's, and, and there's like a gap because it's like, it's either you got, you know, you got like the Disney fied blockbustery movies that just have no sexuality. And then it's like, you got something that's just like almost, over the top and it's that you're just like like all right we like we get it like something like benedetta which is just like like whoa like we get it i times. don't really want to see um, the pg-13 benedetta to be honest <laughs> but there's no like there's no like happy medium where it's just like yeah you can like tell this story and it's not the it's the 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 movie's not about like gratuitous nudity or sex it's about like just two it's hot sensual. people yeah it's two hot people who want to yeah, fuck yeah, each other yeah, like, yeah. i mean i i i like mm -hmm. movies that that can really balance like romance and sensuality and 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 i i mean i don't i like seeing movies with nudity and, and really good like passionate erotic sex scenes but also like i like that this has both and it, and it plays so much right on the cusp of an r rating um but it but it's able to kind of keep it within this frame but they they really do i think it's it's just really well done in that regard but i think you're right too like um really good chemistry between um actors is something that maybe we don't get of as much of 
No, I mean, I, th- I, don't, I think it's just more like, you know, they're not... It's not it's not there in the material, you know? Like, that's... Again, like, we're catering to, like... The, the we're catering to either China or evangelical Christians um, to uh, not super sexy. Uh, I think also sorry. like romance <laughs> as like a genre has more or less died in terms of theatrical distribution. Like you get stuff like, I mean, which we'll see later on in this series, like to all the boys of love before, like, you know, you kind of had that like Netflix rom-com like renaissance like a few years ago. But in terms of like, wide release rom-coms like there's not that many like i guess there's that movie coming out with like shakira and uh owen wilson that looks kind of like a classic j-lo oh my gosh it's jennifer, oh, jennifer lopez Is it? okay i'm sorry i couldn't remember i was a pop star but uh regardless oh that movie looks it does so look bad, bad but it's like the yeah sort what of, has been the most recent uh like widely released and well-received romance stars born out? maybe what is born maybe? But I mean that yes, is like it's a, more like a tragedy uh, though. Okay. La La Land. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, as, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll love uh, ends in tragedy. Somebody dies at the but end. But I feel like as sure. like a as film Whoa. has <laughs> crazy rich agents maybe as film has like increasingly uh. doubled down on like movies that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Like I mean, there's been a. I mean, that's like a really common like thing people have talked about in the past like decade of like film criticism is like like where are the adult dramas and like I don't know that people usually mean rom-coms when they say that but like rom-coms have definitely gotten the axe in the same way that like middle tier like indie dramas or whatever well I would say I would say that it's because at least in movies rom-coms shifted from being in movies to television shows so it's more like stuff like friends or how I Met Your Mother, or things like that. That that's where they shifted the rom com rather than in movies. And but like you know, I'm looking at like later this year they have like this like blatant like romancing the stone ripoff that's gonna star Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, and like that could be like a fun as concept. as romantic doubles like they're. they're... Yeah, 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 but whatever. So what? like, like, so, <laughs> so, and so like, like if if you're like trying to like rip off romancing the stone like that's a movie that's completely based on kathleen turner and uh michael douglas like it's just two you know two people who want to fuck each other the entire movie and like that's not going to be the case with this movie so it's not going to work not not because people don't like respond to romancing the stone anymore it's they're not going to respond to it because it's going to be two sexless you know humanoid things that are just running around (laughs) like that's what the movie's going to be cast them why those two? Oh my god the Je- when i was in the theater and i saw the jennifer lopez movie trailer i was like crying i was laughing so hard i was like if you're jennifer lopez playing yourself jennifer lopez and you're a pop star and you look out into an audience and you have to pick a man to marry why would you because pick he's Owen okay Wilson? i've seen this trailer several times and i have to say in, maybe not in defense of this movie but the plot reason is someone hands him a sign that says marry me i know i know but come like she could have picked she was in a rough else. moment her boyfriend had just her fiance no. had just cheated on her <laughs> if, 
I know, but in that rough moment, if you look up and it's Owen Wilson, your brain, your brain has got to do something else. <laughs> no way, no way. So about dirty so, dancing. Um, no. About dirty dancing. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways, dirty dancing is really good. So good. I mean, other than being just a horny movie, like what? What about it? Do you feel like keeps it? Like why? Why are people still watching? Okay, it? I have I have a thought on this because this is my first time seeing this movie and I knew by heart that final scene because I've, I had seen it on TV. I had seen it parodied like a bajillion times. Um, but I think the, the thing that's, and, and it always kind of like, it was one of those things like, you know, sometimes, you know, things are iconic and you kind of acknowledge that they're iconic without really understanding like why you're just like, yeah, that's the thing that lots of people reference. Um, and for me it was that, and like seeing the movie for the first time all the way through, I think like one of the special things about that moment, um, is like the euphoria of that moment. Like a lot of the movie prior to that is based on repression of some kind. Like they they can't be fully expressive of their feelings in public or she can't like, there, there's all these like barriers to things. And, um, at that moment in the movie, all of the barriers, and it's like the last like five minutes of the movie or whatever, like all of the barriers all of a sudden are just like obliterated by like the sheer force of just the lift, right? Like this one move that they've been like practicing the whole movie. And it's like an incredibly effective way to like tie a bow on that movie that just ends you on this feeling of elation. Um, and for me, like I wasn't like 100% feeling the movie the whole time. Like I think that there are things that kind of were hit and miss about the movie for me, but it ends with that like moment. And I was like, holy crap, this is great. And also like, I think it's really awesome that it's set in 1963. And then like, they like play like a song that like sounds like it could come from no other year than 1987. And that's like the iconic song from the movie. Um, and I think it's great because it like breaks the reality of the movie. And there's a few other times in which they play like 80s songs. And I'm not sure why they do that. Um, Cause the only good 80s song in this movie is uh, I had the time of my life. Um, and when that song plays, it's like they've like transcended time um, with this song and dance. There's like, I think it's like hilarious, like the the like R&B band who's been playing like, you know, the, the kind of like uh, early rock tunes the whole time, like the saxophone guy breaks into like his 80s saxophone mode. And like, it's just like incredibly goofy, but also like so like, I don't know, it just like, lights up all the centers of your brain of my brain like and like the the fact of how silly and over the top it is like is a feature of it and i like i i think that i mean a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about a movie about the movie is true but had it not landed that ending i don't think the rest of the movie would have felt like it came together as well um it's kind of like uh one movie that maybe maybe we're gonna have this movie later on when harry met sally are we doing when harry met sally okay yeah but it's kind of like in when harry met sally right like when Harry Met Sally, all the pieces in it are good, but the thing that sells When Harry Met Sally is that ending, right? Like, and if that ending hadn't landed, like, with that moment of, like, euphoria with them getting together on, like, New Year's, like, the rest of the movie, those pieces wouldn't have retroactively felt as significant. And I feel like this movie does the thing that a lot of really good movies do, which is that it ends on its best moment and just leaves you on this high. Um, and to me, like, I feel like that's part of its staying power is, like, you're, you're kind of waiting this whole time. And even if you've seen the movie before or, or if you're me and you've only seen the ending before, 
they keep teasing the end of the movie throughout the whole movie, right? Like they, there's that montage where they're like practicing the lift the whole time and they like play like a few of the chords from like, I had the time of my life. And the whole movie is like teasing you for that, like release at the end. Um, and I, I think like that's a big part of the appeal of this movie is just how, like how incredible that ending is for me. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a great ending and so just so energizing. I love how everybody in the crowd just gets involved. Even like they they show even like really really old people like taking off their sweaters and getting into the dancing too. It's funny. It's funny. I mean, literally, there's a scene where this old lady like has this big fur sweater thing on and she just like drops it on the ground and she's like, "Here we go. We're going into it." Um, yeah, the whole mo- the the central like the single romance that we've been following this whole movie is so good at the end of the movie that like everybody like drops their yeah. sense of character. Like they all just become it's almost like, like a fantasy us. sequence. Like we are just all yeah. We, yeah, we're like all enthralled by this romance because of how like incredible that like ending is. And like the entire cast is just like celebrating around this couple. And it's I don't know, it's it's really sweet and and like movie magic it's amazing to hear that you know that that zach when you were reading telling us a little about the making of that the two leads didn't get along um because i feel like patrick is so tender with her throughout like i mean he and you almost expect him to be like rougher or coarser and it would be kind of understandable for him like like he's used to dealing with like professional dancers um that but that's not when he's rough with her you get what i'm saying though like you know he, he really is very encouraging to her, like, even, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't make the jump at the big uh, show that they do in the middle of the movie, and, you know, she's kind of beating herself up about it, but he's just really genuinely sweet to her, and like, no, you, you did a really good job. Um, I mean, I guess that's because he's a dance teacher, so he has to know how to not be too coarse with people, but how to be encouraging, and, but he is, and he, but he seems very genuine, and, and I just feel like they have such good you know, f- eye contact and connection, and they seem very soft and sweet and genuine to to each other throughout. So it's surprising to hear that they, you know, just did not get along at all. <laughs> it's it's called acting. I know they're good. Is what I'm trying to say. They're good. Um, and she kind of dropped off after a couple of '80s movies too. She really just... yeah. She probably she's in like a couple really iconic movies yeah. like Ferris Bueller and stuff. Right. Yeah. What happens to her? I don't know. And she's like, ah, I got it. I get my '80s gigs and I'm good now. No more. Honestly, there's something kind of beautiful about like having your career frozen in time like right. that. Like yeah. I don't know if she feels that way, but I think it's kind of beautiful. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I th- there's a lot I like about it. I think that it's. It's really romantic and sweet and sensual, but I think it's also got some, you know, smart, smart things to say about class and privilege um, sprinkled throughout it, too. Um, and I, and I, I don't know. I guess one thing the movie's saying, but I don't know if I have, like, a full fleshed-out thought. Maybe you guys do. It seems like it's trying to hint at the end of an era and maybe the beginning of a new era because um, they're at this camp, or I don't know, what do you call it? I mean, it's like a uh, retreat. All, this is some, It's like a resort. This is all something that I wasn't aware of until recently. I but I guess it's like super common to have these like full family like summer camps. Like yeah. if you're like Jewish in the city and you like go out to the Catskills or something. Like I've seen like multiple pieces of media that involve this same scenario for whatever reason. And I, 
maybe it's not just Jewish people, but in, in all the cases I've seen, it's like Jewish families doing this. And they're all, they're all, you know, it's just these rich whites, all these big rich white families just showing up and being dorks. Like, I love the, the scene. There's a scene where they're all out on a lawn. Uh, yeah. And one of the um, staff members is teaching them like the corniest dance moves on earth. And I'm like, can you imagine a whole family of grownups doing I this mean... now? <laughs> I mean, they're the 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 camp's comedian is Wayne Knight, so that's all you need to know about how corny. It is. I do love when she's you know, going out to like she's like sneaking out to have sex with Patrick Swayze, and they're like, "Where are you going?" And she's like, "Oh, they're doing charades." charades. In the other <laughs> <laughs> Gotta. And it's like, no, I'm just gonna go get railed by Patrick Swayze because he's super hot. Uh, speaking of him, though, you talked about like like Jennifer Grey in this movie, but I feel like it's it's. I mean, no offense to her, but like Patrick Swayze completely owns the movie all the like the entire time. Like when you first not not only when you first see him like dancing, but that first um the first party they go to, like it's like that whole yeah, that whole scene's just just great because he he literally is just walking around that room and I think everybody in that room, no matter who you are, wants to have sex with him. Like just and she just like sees him, and she's like, uh, "I carried a watermelon." <laughs> and then she's like, "I carried a wa- why did I say that?" But like, he, but Relatable, like he just own, like he just kind of has like this presence on screen, not just for being sexy, but just like he has this presence on screen the entire time, where it's just like he he commands. That's true. And I've I've never really seen I've never really liked Patrick Swayze before because I always there there's some like I I feel like he's kind of greasy looking or he's got that kind of too. Like, no, 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 Ooh, he's great. He's A really plus. good in this movie, he but he's kind of too slick sometimes in his movies. <laughs> and, like, maybe this is just because I watched Donnie Darko too many times and he's, like, a child molester in that movie. But, Oof. like... I did not know that. But in this movie, like, this is the first time where I, like, understood, like, the phenomenon mm, of Patrick mm, Swayze. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay, this Go is why, Ghost. like, he was a star. Go watch Ghost. The pottery, the pottery movie. No, go go watch Point uh, Point Blank. Yes, Point Blank okay. and Ghost. Now, I see oh, what you're nice. saying though, Michael. Like he's not he's not one that or Point Break. He's, he's not always... one that I'm like usually drooling over, point but point. I but he not is. Lee Marvin. I get it when I watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think he's he's so tied to that particular era, and a lot of the fashion and like mannerisms of like people in that era, like are like turned me off like they're kind of like plasticky and like too much hairspray you know um and i get that from a lot of his roles like and and i know he's like supposed to be a sex symbol but this is the first time where i'm like oh, okay i understand like why people feel that way about mm-hmm. him now yeah i agree for sure he's not he's not one i usually would be like oh, a patrick swayze movie but i i think he's great in this um i don't know i think his romance with keanu reeves in point break is much more steamier oh yeah oh yeah it's good it's really good it's they're good in stuff. the rain That's together the... could be good i do like, like i do like like great. could be good what the fuck are you talking about could it be is 100 percent like what the hell are you talking about all right well tired people say that dirty da- dancing is sexy wired people say that point break is sexy so why that 4k no list of yeah that's how it goes um, I guess um, any final thoughts on Dirty Dancing before we wrap up? Has favorite. anyone seen the sequel slash prequel? Jessica says it's good. It... You talking about Dirty Dancing Havana Nights? She says I, it's I sure, I certainly also am. very sensual. It has Diego Luna as the main dude, <laughs> and it is. 
I mean, it's. I don't think it's like a well-written movie or super good, but the dirty dancing in it is. It's I mean, pretty dirty. You're telling me Diego Luna is going to be dirty. dancing sexily and sweatily for like two hours? Yeah, sounds yeah. good to me. Yes, like bring back. You know, Zach, you were talking about like sexuality in movies. I say oh, yeah. bring back sweat in movies. People. You watch a movie yeah. from the 70s or 80s, and those people are just, like, drenched in sweat, like, the whole time. Even if it's not, like, a sensual movie, they're just sweating the whole time. They're sweating. You know they're having a good time. Back. If they're sweating, you know they're having fun. Bring that yeah, back. again, like, no, no Marvel characters ever sweat. Yeah. I, yeah, I want to see, like, I, yeah, I want to see, like, a They've Thor, never sweat. Like They've never had sex. Like, like, Captain America, he's that old he's that old dude on the bench he he stayed back to like be with that british lady they never had sex also let me mention about my last thought on dirty dancing is absolutely they got together got married had one kid and got divorced no i i think that this the movie specifically implies that this is it like it's like a summer Mm. romance and I mean, he leaves. He literally gets in his car and leaves, and doesn't he even back. he doesn't tell her where he's going or where he's from or anything. Hey, baby. <laughs> he's just like, and he, like she's going to college in the fall. I think that the movie is like super, like okay, this it's the time of their life. Like this is our one moment, and like I think that it's very much like a encapsulated like summer love. And then, like, that's, we enjoyed our time together. And they, whenever they say goodbye to each other, they just kiss, and he's like, I'm out. Like, I'm not, we don't need to, we don't need to linger on this. And I think that Man, imagine, like, like, dating her later on in life, and, like, just knowing you'd never men, you'd, like, you'd never me- measure up to, like, that summer camp dance instructor probably hopefully she didn't tell him much about it i think yeah i think it's very specifically a summer romance i I really do but it is nice to think well maybe they continue to talk i don't know i doubt it um my ultimate fantasy of the movie i think the ultimate fantasy of the movie is the scene where um so like her dad's super pissed at her because she's like basically admitted that she's been going behind his back and getting with this dude and spending the night with him and stuff and her dad is like i can't believe who are you i don't know who you are anymore i've heard that line before um and she has this scene she's just so cool like i just love her character she's so brave and she goes and talks to her dad and says something along the lines of like you know I disappointed you, but you disappointed me too. You know, you've always talked about how we should go out and help people and do this and do that, but what you meant is people like us, people who are also, you know, rich and this and that, and you just, like, totally turn a blind eye to um, working class people and this and that, and she's like, you know, I wish that you... I'm your daughter. I wish that you could see me for who I am and love me for who I am. That's what you're supposed to do. I do. I still love you. And then, like, you, I don't know, she says something else, and she's crying, and she walks off, and you see him cry, too. And I, know, I, I know. I like, know. Mm, that's, that. that's really – and the, there's, like, small moments like that in the movie that just seal it for me where it's, like, not like any other, like, romance movie where it's, like, even though this dad is, like, this doctor guy who's, like, very strict and very judgmental when as soon as as soon as he sees his daughter cry he's like he loses it like he's just like okay like my daughter is unhappy and that makes me sad and it's just like little tiny like little cherries on top of the 
Sunday where it's like very beautiful. Another like when we were talking about the the final dance, I've seen this movie at least 25 times. I've seen this movie a lot. I like growing up like in middle school, high school, I'd watch this movie and be like this is the dream romance. This is like a perfect perfect ro- summer romance. It's the ideal. And like there are just Now she's being forced to watch you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, you know, little little moments here and there that are just that you notice when you watch it multiple times. And like whenever like kind of like what, what Michael was talking about as a person who watched the final dance for the first time, I'm a person who watched it for like the 25th time. And the magic is the same. The magic is like still there. And it's because of what Michael was talking about it being euphoric and this like movie magic magic moment where you're singing along with the song and you kind of know some of the dance moves and you're like dancing with it and Cam refused to watch this movie with me and I Damn, was Cam. Like, he would like it. I, I just don't see what he wouldn't like about it. He's I feel seen like it's it. Really I mean, smart. it's one of his mom's favorite movies. He's seen it like multiple times, but he was like, I don't want to rewatch it. But I made him watch the final dance scene because I was like, this is sweet and we're going to watch it together. And, and I was just like, at the end of it, he was like smiling so big because it's just so hard. It's so hard to watch it and not smile. And I love. Like, also what Michael's talking about, about everyone's just the facade, the charade, just, like, fading away for everyone. And it's, like, when they start the dance, Patrick Swayze looks at Baby, and she looks at him, and he gives her, like, a tiny kiss on her nose. And it's just, like, it's so sweet. Oh, my gosh. That... So, yeah, like, I think if you watch it, like, multiple times, there are just, like, little things with them that they do together that are super sweet that just, like, seal the movie as, like, a iconic A-plus romance. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um, that's, I, was, I really wanted it to be on this series. Like, I guess any other thoughts on, like, you know, the series or kind of calling it or thinking of it as, like, some of the greatest romances, like, in our, you know, not necessarily only our lifetimes, because we were all born in the 90s, but, um, I don't know, like, what what do you think makes this, cements this as, like, a goat romance? Guys? Dudes? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think it, as, as one, one, one viewing in, I don't know if this is one of my goat romances. I don't, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think you guys have done a really good job articulating like why it's good. I think to me, it like, like I said, like most of my feelings about the movie are like elevated by the way it like just sticks that landing. Um, there's a, there's a couple movies that are in our, our series that have the class dynamic. Like we're going to watch Titanic, which is like more or less the same dynamic. Um, repeated um, with obviously a much different um, effect. And that's honestly never been something that's appealed to me super much. Like there's something weird to me about like, it's always the man who is lower class and like the way that like the ruggedness of class is always like equated with the sort of like mass, like muscularity of body that I've never really identified with. And I think there's one advantage that Titanic has is it doesn't do that. Um, and I, I, I still struggle. Like, I think the overall class stuff is interesting and cool, but, like, the, the like, eroticization, 
erotic, making erotic of like uh, the working classness is like cool, but I also feel like a little bit reserved and distanced from it as well. So I don't know. I'm I'm now ending on a on a bum note, but uh, my feelings are kind of that in terms of the romance. But I really like individual moments of this movie, including the ending. It's fine. I'm curious, like, okay, so, I mean, the 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 females on this podcast are really enthusiastic, and the men are kind of, um, at least in terms of the romance, like, are not as enthusiastic. And I'm wondering, like, is there something beyond just hot guys that is indicative of this romance appealing to women more than men? Because um, I, I mean, this is kind of quintessentially like. Uh, like or or like it's kind of like a proto chick flick right if we're going to use that kind of pejorative language like it has a lot of the elements of what we consider like female pictures and i'm curious like beyond it just it's being because, like it's fake. because patrick swayze is very sensitive in this movie is he i don't know well it, it really to me has a lot to do with the sexual tension and the sensuality and like two people trying to get to know each other on a deeper level I mean, they spend a lot of time together before they actually have sex, and it is, like, lots of sexual tension that is building up just based off of touch. It's a lot of, like, we have to do this dance, so I have to put my hands on your hips, and it's, like, I really you know, like the part, by the way, when uh, they're trying to learn the dance, and she keeps laughing because he tickles yeah, her yeah, by yeah, accident. Yeah, yeah, like, that's a really so, great part of the montage. So cute. I know, so and, cute. and they're... Their, their bodies are matched together and the way that the shot is like framed, you're seeing kind of like the quarter part of them and you just see it over and over and over and she's like laughing. It's like kind of like a perfect moment to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with like the sensuality and a lot of the movies that are on Jesse's list are movies that... Oh, it was a collaborative list. We work together to make the list. Yeah, you know what I mean. But, I mean, this is your series, technically. So, the a lot of the mu- movies curated on the list are movies that have that sensuality aspect of it. Like, in Titanic, like, Jack and Rose spend lots of time together and get to know each other. And I think that that is like a quintessential part of those romance movies of just like conversation and talking and it is not exactly as much talking as like you know before sunrise or something like that but it's still it's still there and the like sexual tension is there and the sensuality is there and it makes the moment where they give in like so much sweeter i think it is interesting. I know we were going to include the, or we briefly thought about including the before movies in this. And the before movies are movies that, like, for whatever reason, are not, like, culturally coded as, like, female pictures or chick flicks or, you know, whatever you want to call it, despite having, like, a lot of the beats of, like, a romance. And I wonder if that's, I mean, maybe that's just, like, its indie cred is, like, male coded or something like that. But it is, I don't know, it is interesting to me, like, why some movies become like movies associated with like female fan bases compared to male fan bases. I mean, that definitely happened with Titanic. Um, that definitely is true of dirty dancing. Um, but is not necessarily true of like other movies, um, that have romances in them. And I, 
that's maybe a question to pursue, like, as we watch. We'll, we'll figure that out in future weeks. Talk <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's what I was going to say. We can figure this out as it develops. Everybody shut up. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> I'll wrap up this episode of Cinema Theory. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary on Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary on letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary and on Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast and the uh, website you can support us at patreon.com slash cinematary thank you so much to Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Titus Arthur Tyler Chandler and Whitney Rio uh, Whitney Rio Whitney Rio Ross, uh, thank you for your patronage. Uh, we mentioned it when we were talking, uh, but next week we're going to be talking about uh, When Harry Met Sally from 1989 uh, to continue the romance series. Uh, until then, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.